I want you to turn in your Old Testament to Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. It's really easy to find. It's right in, right before you get to Matthew. And uh, it's the 39th book of the Old Testament, the last one. And I'm going to read some scripture here in a little bit. <clears throat> this is the second of a three-part message series that I've just simply titled, Talking Back to God. Talking Back to God. Last Sunday, I asked some people what happens when they talk back to God. We had, or, I'm sorry, when they talk back to mom and dad. And we had some very interesting responses. And uh, one of them was uh, mom or dad makes us drink some vinegar. Oh, man. I think that would stay in your mind for quite a while. I mean, just uh, the idea. Um, mm. The only problem I see with that is that your kids are all going to smell like pickles <laughs> for a week or so, and, and uh, the whole house is going to smell like that. But I, I think that would get your attention. Malachi is the last message of any of the prophets of the Old Testament to the people of God. Uh, and following this, there would be 400 years of silence. You know, sometimes I think, I think of that, I've thought about that often, in fact, during this, in preparation, in preparation for this series, 400 years in which there was no witness, no voice from God. And sometimes we, it just strikes me as how impatient sometimes we are. You know, I start praying on Monday morning, Lord, what do you want me to do this week? Or what do you want me to speak on? And, you know, if I haven't heard from God by noon, I'm, I'm sort of getting anxious and say, hey, uh, hey, it's me. I need to know. Uh, I've got to deal with some preparation here. And I don't hear from, you know, I don't hear from the Lord or I don't think I hear. Usually it's, it's not that the fact that God isn't speaking. It's just the fact that I'm not listening. And so... But God did not speak for 400 years. That's a long time. A long time. God would not speak until the angel of the Lord would speak to a carpenter named Joseph. And that angel of God said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary to be your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she shall bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus. God was speaking again. If you look into Hebrews chapter 1, in the first couple of verses of that great book, you'll realize that God said, I have spoke his most eloquent message that was ever spoken to humanity. It was not spoken by prophets, it was not spoken by apostles, but it was spoken by his son whom he sent as his emissary to this, to this culture, to this world. Malachi is a message that, that even though we call it an Old Testament message and we say that Malachi is what we call a minor prophet, let me tell you, these minor prophets had powerful, major impacts. In a few words that they would speak, 55 verses in this little book, but they are filled, they are absolutely jam-packed with information and with authority how these people spoke. Malachi is a message to people who have become very flippant, very arrogant in their walk with God. They could see nothing wrong with the way they were living. And when God spoke to them, they literally talked back to God. 
God speaks to them and tells them to change their life or change their, their attitudes, change their way, and they would speak back to him, talk back. As a fact, and to me, that's astonishing. In fact, they went as far as even saying, look, if anything's wrong, it must be your fault. Can you imagine... Uh, can you imagine sitting in your <clears throat> chair at home and saying, uh, God, if there's anything wrong with me, it's, it's your fault. I mean, th that's, that's just stunning arrogance. It's, it's, it seems unimaginable, and yet that's exactly what these people were doing. A Jewish survivor, I read this this week, a Jewish survivor of the Holocaust recently said, what happened to my people in Germany is now happening to Christians in America. Now that should get you to stop and think for a moment. Pause for a moment and consider that our society continues to become more and more anti-Christian. Tear down the crosses, remove the Ten Commandments, bar this, anything in the school, and it's an attempt to extinguish Christianity from our society. And that's very real, folks. Very real. It's my estimation, and I don't want to go into this tangent too deep, but I think the First Amendment is under deep attack right now, and it would not surprise me to see further erosion of the freedom to assemble and to say what we could say this morning. If you're a true believer, it's time to take your stand for Christ. Speak up. Speak up for the freedom of religion. Be faithful to your church. Love your church. Love what God is doing in the church, especially the church that speaks the gospel, that is faithful to his word. Take up the cause. We live in perilous times. I want you to go with me for just a moment in the, into the New Testament, the book of First, uh, uh, First Timothy. 1 Timothy speaks about this, chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, I'm just going to read a portion of a verse or two here, which says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. This simply means that Satan is a source of these things, that come into our, into our, they can come into our church, they certainly are a part of our society. It goes on, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own consciences seared with a hot iron. In other words, it come, there comes a place where many people cannot discern truth. Truth can be spoken, and yet truth is ignored. And that was what was happening God gives us models all along the way. Folks, let me tell you something. God does not do stuff that he hasn't modeled to you that he hasn't explained in previous times. God explained this, for instance, in the book of Malachi and many other places as far as that goes. He explains this, and yet it comes back to us. It should be no surprise. Paul speaks of it here in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Go back to 2 Timothy chapter 3. It almost echoes. There's an echo in the room here. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. And you go on down and, and read about some of the things that are occurring in this so-called perilous time. Then in chapter 4, 
Paul exhorts Timothy. He said, listen, you need to preach the word. Preach the word. He tells him, for the time will come when they'll not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears. They will heap up for themselves teachers. Ladies and gentlemen, messages like this sometimes are not appreciated by people. Pastor, we want something that is hot. We want something that is new. We want something that, that, that tickles our ears, if you will. This is bread and butter stuff. That's what it is. This is plain vanilla stuff. That's what it is. But if we will respond to it, if we will accept it, if we will absorb it into our life and into our thinking, it is going to help us to live victoriously in this life. And it will do that. It goes on here, it says, turn their ways away from truth, turn aside to fables, but you, Paul says, but you, and he's, he's speaking very directly at us, speaking to us, he says, but you, be watchful in all things. In other words, the word there, watchful, means to keep your head. Don't lose your head. Don't lose your ability to think. Don't lose your ability to process what things are happening, what people are saying. Back to Malachi. Malachi chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. I'm going to read this portion from what a, a, a uh, paraphrase called the message. This is very powerful. Listen to these words from the message, beginning in verse 13, chapter 2, verse 13. And here's a second offense. You fill the place of worship with your whining and sniveling because you don't get what you want from God. Do you know why? Simple. Because God was there as a witness when you spoke your marriage vows to your young bride. And now you've broken those vows, broken the faith bond which your vow, vowed companion, your covenant wife. God, not you, made marriage. His spirit inhabits even the smallest details of marriage. And what does he want from marriage? Children of God, that's what. So guard the spirit of marriage within you. Don't cheat on your spouse. He goes on in verse 16 and says, these are strong words. He says, I hate divorce, says the God of Israel, God of the army, angel armies. I hate the violent dismemberment of the one flesh of marriage. So watch yourself. Don't let your guard down. Don't cheat. That's strong stuff. That's powerful. That's not easy to hear. And yet God, God speaks it into our lives today as his word. Malachi describes how the priests had covered the altar with their tears and all of these things. And yet they were upset and said, God isn't paying attention to us and everything. Listen to the words of God. He's saying, it is treachery. This is treachery here to divorce the companion and breaking the view, vows that you had with one another. One of the great national sins of Malachi's day was this. And God had warned them. He, he constantly warned them. You can go clear back into Genesis and find this. He constantly warned him. He said, stay away from the heathen women, the pagan women. Have you ever heard that in church before? 
You're kind of giving me this look like, huh? <laughs> what are you talking about? The intermarriage with these foreign women and the pagan nations. In fact, God warned them about this many times. He says, look, you are covenant people. You're a covenant people. You are a unique person. You are a set-apart person unto me. And the pagan marriage would be an affront to God because this always led people away to serve other gods. Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 4. I'm just going to share a piece of this with you. It says, Turn your sons away from following me to, follow, to serve other gods, and the Lord's anger will, will burn against you. This is serious. History tells us that before any great nation has fallen into ruin, the cracks were first seen in the foundation of the homes. This is where it appears first. One of the saddest things today is that we see homes, even within the church, even within the New Testament church of today, we see homes becoming fractured because of sin, because of uh, so many other things that, uh, that push their way in. Young people, I want you to know something. I want you to understand this. This is what the Bible says. Please hear me. Please understand it. Don't date non-Christian girls. Girls, don't date non-Christian guys. Do you hear me? I don't get any amens on that. But you better. Moms and dads would really be able to shout. This is... There is, no, there is no such thing as missionary dating. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, I'm going out with Susie because if I go out with her, I'll win her to the Lord. You know what? I'm going to tell you something. Generally, it's Susie that pulls you away from God, generally speaking. Vice versa with the guys, the same with the girls, etc. You become like them. If this is tasting like vinegar, I'm sorry. People don't live together. Stop it. If you're a guest here today, I'm not apologizing for the word, and I'm not apologizing for what I'm saying, but we've got too much of this, and we've got some of it in the church, in the New Testament church. Stop it. It's sin. And God is angry about it, and the Bible has an awful lot to say about it, and none of it is good. It's, I'm going to go on. I'm getting evil eyes. You know, one of the things that God was pretty upset about was the fact that these Israelites, they were not only, these Israelites were out marrying foreign women, but they were divorcing their covenant wives to marry the foreign women. And God was very disturbed over that, very upset. And that's why he says in verse 16, he says, I hate divorce. The covenant made before God must be taken seriously. Folks, when I stand at this, at this altar and two people are standing for me and, and we say, uh, and, we, and we talk about their vows and usually we wind up saying something in the fact that we say this before God, I mean it. It is before God. This isn't just something we say. This isn't just something that we do. We mean it. And it's important. We vow before God. And I want to give you a word right now. And I want you to understand this very clearly. Very clearly. 
If, and if I misspeak in this thing, I want you to walk up to me after church and say, clarify that statement. We know that there are people in here that have went through the tragedy of divorce. I am not speaking against you today. I want you to understand that. I want to speak for you because these things are tragic. They hurt. There's pain and all kinds of things in all different ways. I want you to know something. The God of this Bible is a God of opportunity. The God of this Bible offers forgiveness. The God of this Bible gives us second opportunities, second chances. You call it whatever you want. But I want you to know this, that the love of God does not just simply walk out of your life because you went through that painful experience that's called divorce. And it is painful. And it's painful on many, many levels. But I want you to know the grace of God is greater, greater, greater than anything that could ever happen. Do you, do, you, do you hear me on that? Hear my heart on this, folks. Hear my heart. Matthew chapter, uh, I'm sorry, Malachi chapter 2, verse 17 is the last one I'm going to speak about here this morning. Verse 17 says, You have wearied the Lord with your words, yet you say, In what way have we wearied him? In that you say, Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. Here's what the people were saying. He said, You know what? We've been, we've been out here doing our sin thing. We've been out here being ornery. We've been out here uh, disobeying God. And you know what these people said? Craig, they said, it's your fault, God. Where's the lightning bolt? <laughs> I mean, I think if I was God, it's a good thing I'm not God. I think if I, I, think if I was God, I'd say, okay, it's time. Crispy critter. <laughs> there. Solve that problem. They won't be saying that again. Because they're, you know, they're a fried piece of uh, bacon grease now. They're on the grass. These people were complaining because they thought God should treat them better and they deserve more from God. And God says, you have wearied me. You've, you've just made me tired. With all of, this, all of this complaining and everything, you just made me tired. And these people did not see their sinfulness. They, instead, they complained and they said, we want to drag God right down into the middle of it too. So let's drag him down into it. And it was their way of trying to reduce God to human terms. Folks, I don't want God on a human level. I want God to be God. I want God to be God. I have enough difficulty on the human level the way it is. I want God to be God. Remember what I said last time? He's awesome, God. He's awesome. Not my slice of pizza, it's God. God is awesome. And so they had wearied God in many different ways and all of these things. And they tried to twist, <coughs> twist good into evil. And the people caused God, accused God and said, you don't really care for us. You don't really like us. They even had the audacity to come, come out and said, God wouldn't even, you know what? If God saw sin, he wouldn't even punish it. Wow, are you serious? God says, I'm giving you a warning on this thing. And this is very, very serious. 
I want to close with this. Theologian D.A. Carson, a person that you may not be very familiar with, makes a very important statement. And I wrote about this and I included this in an in a article that I wrote. I'm quoting him now. He said, apart from grace, apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate toward godliness, prayer, obedience to scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. We drift toward compromise and we call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience and we call it freedom. We drift toward superstition and we call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch toward prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide toward godless, godlessness and convince ourselves that we've been liberated. Strong words. But saints of God, they are necessary words for us to hear in the day in which we live. Allow them to, allow them to seep into your thinking, into your spirit, and allow them to wherever it's necessary to correct, to strengthen, and to help. Let God do that in your life. Donnelly, would you return to the organ, please? This is a strong message. It's strong on many levels. But there's coming a day in which you will stand before God. I will stand before God. And God says, there will be a requirement for you to make an account of yourself before God. There's not going to be any frills. No excuses. And no talking back. And I want you to know something, you stand alone. I don't stand with you. Your family won't stand with you. It's just you alone. You. As a pastor, I too will stand before God. And if I understand what Hebrews chapter 13 says, I will be held accountable for what I did as a pastor. Was I diligent? Did I shy away from hard things to say? Did I step back and allow things to just go on? Because to step forward would have created a disturbance that might have been uncomfortable. So maybe out of selfishness, 
I speak to you this morning. Because God says, you will be judged by these things. I take that awfully seriously, folks. I don't want to stand before God and say, you know, saying difficult things to the dear saints at Faith Community Church was tough. And by saying them, you run a risk of being misunderstood or the fact that maybe you don't care enough or maybe they were said not in the right spirit. I, I don't know. We do what we do and we try to do it the best we can. So I, I say these things to you in a spirit in which I want to see every one of you stand before God and God would say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter to the joy of your Lord. I want to hear that. I want to hear that for myself. I want to hear it for you. Then we'll know we did the right job and we got it right. Amen? Stand with me. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you today for every person in this church, every one of them, every person. I thank you for them. Father, I pray that <clears throat> I pray that in these last days we would not um, be afraid to speak the message of faith, the message of righteousness, the message of the peace of God, strength and power of God. Sometimes we need to hear the message that perhaps helps us to correct or adjust in our life in some particular way. Father, help us to receive those, those things also. Lord, I pray for people and perhaps in this service today that as we closed off this service, thinking about the day in which we stand before God, perhaps they're a little bit concerned because they're not, be honest with you, they're not ready to stand before God. They need Jesus Christ in their life. They need to ask him to come in and forgive their sin so they can be ready. It's not a matter of attending church or being a member of a church or doing good things or being a good person. It's a matter of Jesus Christ and him alone. So Father, while our heads are bowed this morning, can I ask this morning to this congregation if there's any person here, one person or dozens or whatever, could you just simply lift up your hand and say, Pastor, I want to pray with you right now. As we close out this service, I want to make sure I'm ready. I want to meet God, and I want to meet him with faith and knowing Jesus. Lift your hand right now, just up and then down. That's all I'm asking, nothing else. Okay, thanks. Father, I thank you for a couple of people this morning that responded. Perhaps there's others, maybe a little bit timid, but Father, help them to pray with me. Jesus Christ, come into my life. Forgive my sin. 
I realize that sin separates me from you, and I don't want that. I ask Jesus Christ to be the Savior and Lord of my life. I ask him into my heart. I believe he died for me and rose from the dead, and I receive him as my Savior and Lord today. I know him. I know him as my Savior. This is a day of new beginning for me, and I thank you for that <clears throat> in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.